The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You know, you can just shoot the vest without a person being in. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what? Just saying, if if you actually have to try. No, 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 Doc Tassum, because I see him. The vest only works when he feels the warmth of a body. No, no. <laughs> Are you sure? Because this yes. sounds like new technology. No. So I can shoot this vest without being on uh-huh. somebody's and make sure that vest yep. works? Wow. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This. Always uh, a pleasure and honor to be with you. If this is your first episode, I hope you're looking for a voice of reason, a voice of honesty. That American Muslim voice that uh, is trying to realize that we have a responsibility here in America to use the laboratory that God gave us, that this country and its founding fathers gave us, that every American citizen gives us in order to give back and take on the areas of reform that are so long overdue in the Muslim community, especially, especially to defeat that global plague of Islamism, political Islam, and the Islamic State identity. On Reform This Week to Week, you and I travel together to bridge that divide between Darul Islam, the land of Islam, and the land of freedom, the land of liberty. The Islamists prefer to call the land we live in the land of war because they're at war with us. And reform demands, demands not only that we counter terrorism, which is simply a symptom, but that we counter the ideology of political Islam. And this week is no different than any week. There are so many different fronts that you and I can discuss to educate, to learn about what are some of the fronts that you can make a difference on, that you can begin to engage on the Islamic issue, to understand what our policy should be, what the media should be discussing, what universities should be teaching, what your family should be concerned about. At every, every area of our life, I think the biggest issue of the 21st century will be how our country gets our head around, gets our arms around the embrace of Muslims that reform, that want liberty, and the rejection, the minimization, the confrontation of those who want Islamism. So first, let's start in the foreign policy realm. For long, many months, there's been rumblings that Secretary of State uh, Tillerson was leaving, and uh, he denied it. The Trump administration denied it, and it was disregarded as fake news. And for any of you who followed me, uh, especially after the appointment of Rex Tillerson, the former head of Exxon, you know that I was no fan no fan because if there was anyone that was establishment, if there's anyone that screamed oil, petro establishment, it was Rex Tillerson. And I found it, well, I mean, maybe you could, with uh, President Trump's uh, uh, global connections of his hotels, casinos, golf courses, etc., that it sort of made sense. But on the other hand, his with his campaign and his ideas, his his uh, penchant to, to want to 
disrupt the establishment. It really didn't make sense. But he gave Secretary Tillerson a year plus to try to make a difference. And I don't know, maybe to his credit, maybe not. Secretary Tillerson shrunk the State Department, possibly getting rid of an unbelievable amount of chaff, of waste, that uh, really shouldn't have been there. And as we all know, and I, I served on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, and on that commission, we realized as we visited, I visited Indonesia, Saudi Arabia three times, Egypt, um, and a number of other countries, Bahrain, uh, we realized that often the State Department personnel and others had developed clientitis. Uh, it almost seemed as if America's interests, yes, they were high on their priority list, but nowhere near the top. It became more simply working with and maintaining the government that they were they're embracing in their diplomacy. And to his credit, I think uh, Secretary Tillerson tried to shrink that to make it minimalist to the point that they really only did their diplomatic job and didn't become part of the establishment of that government. But also, as Adam Credo of the Free Beacon points out this week, uh, Tillerson's biggest problem was that he really had no constituency. He didn't develop a base. He didn't develop a, a cadre of folks within the State Department, at least it seemed, that he would respond to, that became his advocates, his ambassadors, if you will, across the planet. And thus, it was even written about in press that he didn't return the phone calls of uh, uh, ambassadors that should have had quick access to the Secretary of State, Ambassador David Friedman, our ambassador to Israel, is noted to have had a difficult time getting his calls answered. And uh, I, I think it's quite interesting. Here's a corporate guy ran a company that perhaps had some creative ingenuity, but was mostly dealing with natural resources, the pumping and distribution of crude oil. And now, I have to say I'm, I'm elated. Rexit, the departure of Rex Tillerson, is a reality because the reality is, is that And this also from uh, Adam over the past few weeks at Free Beacon, uh, Credo uh, talks about the rift between the administration and Secretary Tillerson about the Iran deal. Now, I'm going to step back a second. Before we get to the Iran deal, it's just uh, amazing, incredulous to me that Steve Goldstein, the Undersecretary for Public Diplomacy, said, and he makes the public statement from our Public Diplomacy Undersecretary, which is interesting. He said the Secretary had every intention of staying because of critical progress made in national security. He will miss his colleagues at the Department of State and the foreign ministers that he's worked with throughout the world. The Secretary did not speak to the President and is unaware of the reason. But he is grateful for the opportunity to serve and believes public service is a noble calling. He wishes Secretary-designate Pompeo well. Wow. Here's the Trump administration, President Trump, whose hallmark celebrity status was about firing people directly and openly on The Apprentice. And one of his highest-ranking cabinet officials finds out via Twitter 
Now, maybe he heard the administration said they, that he knew it was coming as a Friday. I don't know. Uh, I would imagine. I know in, in my small little business, uh, my medical practice and uh, business that I run, I've never let anybody go that directly worked for me that I did not talk to myself. So, I don't know. Maybe there's more behind this. We don't know all the details. Uh, but the bottom line is, is Secretary Tillerson had somebody release. Had, and also, it was not his assistant secretary, but rather the Undersecretary of Public Diplomacy. Public Diplomacy, I'll remind you, is that wing of the State Department that I have been begging, screaming, crying for them to increase its notoriety to 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 put on steroids since that's really what the u.s information agency was about it was about pushing forward american ideas american presence in the global market of ideas i don't know what they're doing i never got the sense that secretary tillerson felt there was any role for american ideas in the world and obviously there were some rifts developing there were some theories that uh, jerusalem the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, the moving of the of our embassy there, might have played a role. There was a recognition that the Iran deal, that uh, while Secretary Tillerson wanted to salvage it, the needed changes that President Trump wanted to be made, Tillerson disagreed with. The Qatar blockade, Secretary Tillerson. I don't think it would be much of a stretch to say that Secretary Tillerson was probably wanting to preserve the Qatari monarchy, the royal family, and protect it from the blockade that the Saudis had put into place. And even President Trump, who initially had been quite openly not only pro-Saudi but anti-Qatar, which if I had to pick... I'm glad he did that, right? Because Qatar was in bed with, is in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood, has the font of Islamist propaganda across the planet, being Al Jazeera, and also is in deep with Russia and Iran, with the natural gas uh, fields that it shares, and, and the monies, the billions that come in from that, making Qatar probably the richest state per capita in the planet. But that blockade was having an impact. And President Trump perhaps was backing away in that he told him last week, he said, you need to fix that. And, you know, I tweeted out, what do you mean you need to fix that? Telling the Saudis and the Qataris to fix that problem. They need adult supervision. Right now, the Saudis are acting in their own interests, and they want to peel the Qataris away back into the GCC and away from Iran. How they do that is going to need some creativity when they share so much economic dependency upon one another in those natural gas fields. But it is a necessary move and a blockade to force that to happen, it doesn't show is going to do much other than irritate and bring them on the brink. So there's probably a lot behind the departure of Secretary Tillerson, more than we will ever know. But I, as somebody dedicated to reform within the House of Islam and within the Muslim community, realize that the biggest barrier is the propaganda arm of the billions of Petro-Islam. Somebody 
who came out of, in the end of his career, portfolios that included one of the world's biggest gas tanks, Russia, and included Qatar as his two major portfolios that launched him to become the head of ExxonMobil, is not somebody who I think is going to put pressure on the Islamic establishment to force them to reform. We need somebody ideological. We need somebody who came up through the military that understands American ideological strategy and is not beholden to global economic pressures of petro-Islamic states. Secretary-designee Mike Pompeo, the director for the CIA currently, who's been a, a stellar director, and I have had the blessing of, of knowing when he was a congressman and uh, testifying for him and working with him on a number of issues related to the threat of Islamist groups, the threat of the Brotherhood, the threat of global Islamist groups, and how to work with those groups that need to be recognized as modern reformers, forward-thinking reformers. And he also was one of the few Congress members to confront locally in Kansas the, the peddling for Hamas, the radicalism from some of the mosques. And he and I were quite articulate. He was quite articulate. And, and uh, I penned a piece for the National Review on that in which I supported the courage that he demonstrated in, in really wading into the minefield area of identity politics that the left loved to make Muslims into victims, when in fact, Congressman Pompeo, I think in tough love, showed the Muslim community that you can lead by example, and we Muslims don't have to allow the Islamists to dominate our community. I look forward to Congressman Pompeo, Director Pompeo, now Secretary-designee Pompeo's hearings for approval. I think he is going to be a, a significant trade-up, as my friend Seth Liebson quoted this week, in the uh, State Department, and I think we will begin to see, here's this first-in-his-class West Point graduate, a true patriot who understands in a Reaganite way the role of America in the world, who will be tougher on Iran, who the Iranians will no longer feel will be squishy because of his Russian Qatari history, who I think will also be far more directly pro-Israel and not as Arabist in his leanings, Mike Pompeo. Good luck, Mike Pompeo. Secretary Tillerson, enjoy the uh, uh, golf courses, and thank you for your service. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. What are you even fighting, Nancy? Everybody's on board except the American people, and we don't matter one iota. No. Nobody's asking us. Nobody's asking us, hey, what would you like to see done here? Let us know. Give us a call. Tell your representative what it is you'd like to see done with the Dreamers. And for me, nothing right now. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. 
This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I want to shift a little bit and talk a little bit about Syria as the obsession with Trump derangement syndrome or Trump obsession syndrome, whatever you want to call it, continues. Syria continues to burn. The crimes against humanity continue to pile up. The dead bodies, the children, the hospital rubble, uh, the chemical weapons use. Uh, just look at uh, any of uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley's uh, speeches to the UN, and uh, she has, as has her Twitter account, as has the U.S. Embassy uh, in Syria, not that we have an embassy there, but they have a Twitter account, uh, has been elucidating that in eastern Ghouta, especially in the last uh, two weeks or more, there has been war crime after war crime with hundreds of civilians killed every day, every day. The brutal campaign is unbelievable, and it has caused people to say, stop, stop, whatever it takes, just stop. And heroes like Adam Kinsinger, Congressman Adam Kinsinger in Illinois, and a number of others who've been tirelessly reporting on the brutality in Syria, continue to speak to deaf ears. And then people say, well, we're not deaf about it. We know there's a humanitarian crisis, but there is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can do. And now I I bring this to your attention, not only to remind you, but even the hawks, even the hawks in 2011, 2012, who felt we should have enforced no-fly zones, who felt that we should have been strong against Assad from the beginning, and that that would prevent the radicalization of the Syrian people that we then saw with the evolution of ISIS in 2013, and the rest of the story you know. Even those folks now are starting to write pieces, like I saw this week in the Washington Post, to save Syrians, let Assad win. And that's not a new position for some on the right. They have said that a dictator who is stable, air quotes, is not as deadly as a dictator facing revolution and will not be as dangerous globally as a dictator on the verge of exit. And we may see the same in Iran as they get close to being toppled as their revolution is starting to pressure them on the streets and in the banks and elsewhere. But my message to you today is when in history, when in history has any revolution this far out from its start dwindled to nothing so that they could give up? The genie is too far out of the bottle. They will never look back. People don't realize. And, you know, I read this piece, and, you know, this one was by Max Boot, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, Max has had his hyperbole sometimes with regard to uh, Trump and his obsession on him. And, yeah, I've had my difficulties with the Trump administration and language, et cetera, as I've expressed here and elsewhere. But at the end of the day, it's not just Max Boot. It's a number of folks on the right who would call themselves pragmatists who may be quite rational and maybe I'm emotional and irrational as a Syrian-American who has family in Damascus and Aleppo and elsewhere. But morality, human nature, is such that when you begin to fight for freedom, 
when you begin to fight for liberty and you have made that dedication. I was in the Navy. When we went on a mission, I don't know any naval squad that would turn around. Once you de declared that you had a mission, no matter how unpredictable something would become, a moral fighting force will continue. There's no doubt that it looks bleak that are they in hospice care now? I don't I don't know. We don't know. But there's no doubt that morality, history is on their side. Whose side? Not the Islamists in Syria who tried to hijack the revolution, not certainly not the Assadists and the Baathists in power who have employed not only their own military firepower and chemical weapons, but Russian aid with soldiers' weapons and armamentarium, Iranian financing and aid and Hezbollah terror groups, on and on. Lost in the morass of this mess is a minority, but I think a very potent Syrian democratic force. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. They are a byproduct of over 50 years of military dictatorship that has within it some corruption. The, I'm even talking about the democratic forces. has within it uh, uh, some hopelessness and a lack of, of education and sophistication. And yet their deepest guttural instinct is to reject tyranny, is to reject dictatorship. So don't ever give up on humanity. Revolutions in the West went through many iterations until they got it right. Don't give up on morality. Don't give up on the humanity that's fighting for their freedom. The least we could do is continue to respect it. But to say somehow, on top of that, to say that, well, Assad will be better because the kinetic portions go away, the pictures of the dead babies in the, in the bombed hospitals go away, but it still remains, if Assad's in power, a tyrannical prison in which people who open their mouth are jailed and in which there will be a long memory of both sides. So there is no going back. There has to be a complete decimation of one side or the other and a surrender. There has to be. There's no way around that in Syria. I don't see any way around that. And ultimately, I hope... The rebellion continues to be empowered as there is an attrition. There aren't that many Syrian soldiers left. You saw 500 Russian soldiers a few weeks ago that were found, air quotes, in Ghouta that uh, the Putin thugs and mafia said were just mercenaries. Yeah, they were hardly mercenaries. These were thugs that had been fighting in Ukraine for Russia and had gone on to Syria to continue the fight for Putin. Yes, we should continue to support our Kurdish allies. We should not abandon them. Many of them are talking on social media and internationally that they were abandoned, abandoned by the Americans. And I don't think that's the position of the Trump administration, but hopefully it can be corrected and we can bolster that up. And hopefully Secretary-designee, soon to become Secretary Pompeo, can correct that. The Kurds control about 25% of Syria's territory, and there are some two, 3,000, if not more, Americans there. Turkey is wreaking havoc in Syria. 
Some have called for us to cut a deal there. Again, I disagree with that. We should not cut a deal with Erdogan. We should continue to help the revolution, civil society as possible in Syria, and push all the fronts back and begin to carve out enclaves of democratic forces that reject the Islamists from the radicals of ISIS and Jabhat al-Nusra to the more sophisticated, if not more dangerous, Turkish Islamist, Qatari Islamist, Wahhabi Islamists that are not our allies. And slowly, I think, over the next five, ten years, there will be shifts in Syria. Russia will tire. Iran may disappear from the, the area because of the change in its government as its revolution strengthens. So that's the side of history we could be looking at rather than simply sentencing them to hospice care and saying that, well, let's end the killing. Let's fake end the killing to save Syrians and let Assad win. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Assad if he wins, will continue to slaughter people, but this time in prisons, as he did over the past 40 years, as his father did, and this time tortured in basements and elsewhere, even after the superficial, the surface kinetics go away. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. This is Dr. Sudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Week to week, you and I traverse the the rough waters of identity politics, of theological reform, confrontation, and address the areas that truly need to treat not just the symptoms, but truly treat the areas of the disease of political Islam, the disease of theocracy, the disease of the Islamic establishment that needs to be treated. I want to turn to a piece that appeared in Al Jazeera, was written by a Detroit uh, law student or... or uh, uh, lawyer, I'm not sure what level of education he's at, but uh, his name is Khalid Beydoun. He wrote a piece about rethinking Islamophobia, and I thought, oh, good, this is this is going to be a critical thinking piece. But no, it was even worse. He takes the term Islamophobia and turns it into basically that anything related to secularism, anything related to liberty and Western concepts of society is a hate for Muslims. And I wanted to talk to you about it because I think this runs at the very core of what I'm trying to do with this podcast, what reformers should be trying to do, which is the Islamophobia nutcases. Those who believe that look through the world that the West hates Muslims, that their entire identity is based on them seeing themselves as rejected by somebody else. Instead of having confidence in their own identity individually, they must create a prison known as an Islamic state in their own family, in their own neighborhood, in their own mosque, and in their own society and culture and state 
in order to find an identity rather than believe in a postmodern, a modern deflection and defeat of the tribal identity for the individual identity, which is the greatness of what the Western society developed post-Reformation, post-Enlightenment, which is the sense that we are individuals that are equal under God, that it's not government's role to tell us how to think or what to think as long as we don't injure somebody else, as Jefferson famously quoted, I don't care whether he worships God or whatever he does as long as he doesn't harm me, paraphrasing Jefferson. And this Beydoun from Detroit writes on March 12th in Al Jazeera that Islamophobia is far more than merely dread or hatred of Muslims or a fear or dislike of the faith and its followers, it is a deeper racial project spawned by a master discourse that drove European supremacy and today powered by popular views that state policy seeking to safeguard its domestic progeny and white supremacy. Oh, for the love of God, are you serious? Why am I wasting your time reading to you? drivel of propaganda written by a Detroit law student or lawyer for Al Jazeera, an Islamist anti-American propaganda arm? Well, because this is the information that is influencing Muslim kids around the country. To say that a Muslim kid who believes that his identity is, is, is despite a country that hates him, that his identity remains Muslim because He's able to survive in a community, a culture that despises Muslims, that is Islamophobic by virtue of it having an American flag, that is Islamophobic by virtue of having a history of enslaving the black people, that is Islamophobic by virtue of being capitalist and not socialist. All of the attributes of a free society or the history of America that it has corrected, be it slavery, a civil rights movement, and other things that were very positive in bringing America back to its good roots and away from its often weak weakness of humanity in which democracy can become a majoritocracy that oppresses a minority. But that's not about America. It's about human nature in which majorities oppressed minorities unless they are checked and unless they have a moral compass that they need to be reminded of. So nobody's telling Muslims to abandon their faith. It's not anti-Islam to embrace the morality of Judeo-Christian Islamic beliefs. But this guy couches being American and being Western in a in a, a scathing critique of the American society, which he calls American Orientalism was in large part a white supremacist project that collaborated with anti-blackness and manifest destiny on and on. And he says Islamophobia is simply a cover. He said beyond its popular cover, Islamophobia is everything from law to Hollywood, misrepresentations, violent assaults on conspicuous Muslims and innocent bystanders wrongly profiled as Muslims. Islamophobia is all of this, but also far more. It is above all a fluidly shifting and intricate system that cannot be reduced to mere fear or dislike. He ends by saying, Reckoning with Islamophobia requires situating it within the American context that feeds and foments it. 
which perils a broad population of could-be victims that manifest the multi-layered diversity of the country they strive to call home against the collaborative efforts of the state and elements of society that keep Muslims at the margins. Here you go. This is pathological, pathological hate. This is hate literature against America. This tells Muslim kids that read it and the Al Jazeera Qatari funders that this country is not for them, that it is a country that eats its minorities. Rather than we should be Americans that embrace the history of Jeffersonian freedom and religious liberty, that embrace what we can learn in reforming the Sharia theocracy that is destroying our Muslim societies. That maybe we can learn something from the separation of church and state. Maybe we can learn something from the separation of powers that ends in a Supreme Court that calls the shots on interpreting law and the Constitution, not on a 50%, 51% majority vote. This is the crux of the Reformation obstacle. What is the obstacle to Reformation in the West for Muslims? It is this concept that America is more than Islamophobic. It is intrinsically anti-Muslim because once we as American Muslims feel that a society based in constitutional freedom and a Bill of Rights and universal human rights is anti-Muslim, game over. Game over because the only alternative becomes Hamas. The only alternative becomes the Khomeinists. And the Islamists will say, yeah, they have their warts and their problems and their theocracy and the brotherhood failed and all this kind of stuff. But look at where you could have secular hedonism and drugs and rock and roll, which, by the way, also hates Muslims and your identity will be smothered. Yep. That's the message. So wake up, ladies and gentlemen. Islamophobia on steroids is anti-Americanism. Not the concept Islamophobia, but the projection of the Islamophobia platform in which we label everything Western, quote-unquote, Islamophobia. And now you know. Now you know why I don't use that term. Islamophobia is a contraption of the Qataris and the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, in order to suppress free speech and to enact blasphemy laws in this country so that you will be afraid to criticize anything Islamic. When we come back, I want to talk about what would be a piece about Muslim identity that would be 180 degrees different from this about American identity. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Stop caving in, Congress, to income inequality. It's Marxist rhetoric. Do what Reagan did. Lower the taxes and spark the economy. There are 320 million of us. There's only 545 of them. It's time to remind them who's in charge. For too long now, we've been beaten down, believing we don't matter, that your voice doesn't count, that we can't do anything. It's a lie. The Glenn Beck Program.
Zudi Jesser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. This is what we're reforming. I was talking in the last segment about how the Islamophobia mongers, those who use that term to strike fear into the hearts of, of Americans, that you will be labeled a bigot. They just called Secretary of State designee Mike Pompeo an Islamophobe. That's what CARES Council on American-Islamic Relations press release said, is that Mike Pompeo is an Islamophobe, and they quoted something absurd from his history. Out of context. That's the label. You don't want to be labeled an Islamophobe. By the way, I'm on that list, coming from somebody who not only loves my faith, loves this country, but believes in the scripture of the Quran, believes in its modern interpretation, and is taking the time every week to love my community in a tough way so that we can be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. That's an Islamophobe? Yeah, hardly. But that term, the concept, this Khalid Beydoun, exemplifies the propaganda operation of the Islamists. We talked about it last segment. What I want to leave you with this segment is, what's the opposite to that? What if we had the funding of, let's not call it Qatar, let's call it Wakunda. Let's say there was a Muslim country called Wakunda that had, and hats off to the Black Panther, it was a great movie. I thought, uh, while the, it was a bit long and long in the tooth on lecturing, I, I think it was a, a, a good change for some of the superhero narratives uh, to have African-American uh, hero. But let's call it Wakunda. If that country of Wakunda wanted to invest into a propaganda information operation to advance liberty, to advance anti-theocracy mentality among Muslims, what would that be? It would be our Muslim Liberty Project. It would be the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. It would be a website called Take Islam, TakeBackIslam.com, the Reform Report. All of these concepts, ideas, platforms that Muslims can put out to reject and marginalize the labeling of everyone as an Islamophobe and instead, not only what we're against, but what are we for? We are for liberty. We are for individual leadership and strength and identity. That there is nothing more empowering than raising your kids in your community to have a choice to tell your kid, you know, this is what I think our faith says, but you can choose. You can make your own mistakes. You can make your own successes. That's what the American dream is all about. You are dreamers. We are all dreamers. What would you die for? Not what would you die against. What would you die for? I would die to protect this country, to protect the Constitution that protects me equally. I truly believe as an American that every uniformed man and woman in the military and the police and elsewhere will defend me to the same level that they'll defend my neighbor, that they'll defend anyone in this country. And I served 11 years, and I never felt otherwise with anyone of any race, ethnicity, faith background that I met felt any different about being a naval officer and who they would protect and who they wouldn't. So, 
that construct of Wakunda. The Islamists are building it here. They're trying to brainwash our kids into believing that this society is endemically racist, endemically anti-Muslim, and thus they use the term Islamophobia. Why? To condition us that being anti-American is pro-Islam. Being pro-American is anti-Islam. What can we do? We need to teach our kids that being you, loving yourself so that you can embrace choice in your faith makes you a stronger Muslim so that you can build a mosque like my family did in in Wisconsin and Virginia and Fort Smith, Arkansas and here in Phoenix, Arizona and Scottsdale. Wherever it is you build a mosque, you can be yourself. It's not about a faith identity. Islam is an idea. It doesn't have any rights. As an American, we are for one another, for a bigger ummah than just Ummah means faith community, but we are a bigger community than just one faith. We are all of humanity, all of individuals who need the freedom, the economic freedom, the security freedom from from attacks from your neighbors, from neighboring countries, from academic freedom so that you can study what you want, reject what you want free speech so that you can speak out against the government against your family against your society against your community for the ideas that you want your kids to embrace and be part of your legacy what is the legacy that we are for none of this drivel coming out of islamist organizations says anything about what they're for other than apologetics about the islamic scripture and it's not just about scripture what does that mean what are the principles and the morals being taught teach that to your kids you can teach the same thing that i believe god taught us in in our scripture be it the old or new testament be it the as we call it the injil the torah the old testament or the quran that these things can be principle based and not specifically articulated as trend as as memorized passages but rather ideas that are a legacy based in god's morality and teaching but we need to convince one another through reason not through force not through theocracy but no most of the muslims in this country that are leading organizations are part of the islamist tree and they waste their time radicalizing our community to hate this country to hate its society and its history as being inferior to anything we've ever known when in fact they 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 are sucking off of the 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 you know what of the of the fruit and nutrition of this country while they live here and show no appreciation and i'm talking about the islamists what are they giving back? What's their legacy going to be? Are they going to advance liberty? What about the women marching through the streets in Iran? They want freedom like we have here in America. Why aren't they talking about that? No, it's all about America. Why? What about the, the, the people fighting against the bombings that we talked about in Syria? Or the Saudis who, who now have been proven, the New York Times said that MBS is proving to be a, a, a one of the most corrupt crown princes in quite a while. The same paper that published Tom Friedman's column that this guy is going to lead the Arab Spring. 
tyranny never reforms into modernity and morality. They need revolution, which creates chaos, but ultimately will clean the slate like a hurricane that comes through and then we'll be able to build anew a free society. That's our legacy. We clean the slate of trash, of theocrats, maintaining the fundamentals of the scripture so that we can modernize, individualize, and give Muslims freedom to take our faith through a revolution, through a reformation, and a separation of mosque and state. That's the identity. The identity that this country is the best country on the planet. It allows me Muslim liberty, Christian liberty, liberty for atheists, whatever your choice of path may be. It's about the laboratory. That's what we would die for. We would never, never die for Islamic states or anything else besides our brothers and sisters who are Americans, French, German, any other country that's based in a free democracy. Think about that for a while this week, please. If you know any Muslim friends, ask them, what are you doing for your legacy? Are you going to be victims? Show them this, this horrifically propagandistic piece by the Detroit native Khalid Beydoun, who basically expressed the hatred for America under the rubric of the Islamic community. We need to defeat their ideas. The Beydouns of the world should become pariahs. That he should be labeled the racist, the anti-American fascist, who believes that anything Islamic is good, anything Islamist is great, anything American is bad. I don't want my children believing this. They're free to read it, but they need to get other opinions. They need to get other ideas that teach them the reality that America is the most moral country on the planet, has the most moral fighting force, and believes the reason it's one of the most, the most successful free market on the planet is because of its democratic roots and its constitutional roots. It's always great to be with you guys. I will see you and be with you next week on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.